And with that, we need to be diving into God's Word together today. Once again, we are in Daniel chapter 3. God has such a good Word for us today. I'm excited to share this with you. Uh, I think especially coming off of this crazy week, it's going to be a wonderful thing to dive into God's Word and see what He has to share with us today. Now, I do need to share with you some bad news. This bad news has absolutely nothing to do with the election. But I think the Lord wants me to share this with you today, and I believe this passage we'll look at in a few minutes will shed some light on the hope that God offers us in the midst of hearing some bad news. Well, here's what I heard this last week that got me down in the dumps just a little bit. I learned that there are thousands of churches across America that have closed their doors during covid And won't reopen them. Literally thousands of churches. And that's pretty sobering. We know that over the last seven to eight months, millions of Christians across America have stopped attending church. And as a result of that, thousands of churches have seen their numbers drop dramatically with their attendance. Many churches have seen their numbers drop by more than 50%. Many of these same churches have seen their offerings and tithes drop by more than 50%. And a number of these churches came to the conclusion that they simply couldn't sustain their ministries under those circumstances. And so thousands have closed their doors. I learned this last week uh, that the Barna Group, which is one of the most well-respected Christian research firms, uh, did some research over the past several months, and they came to the conclusion that one in five churches in America are at risk of closing their doors within the next 18 months. Isn't that crazy? One in five churches at risk of closing. And so what do we do with news like this? Well, I think what we do is we turn to God. We open his word and see the hope that God offers us. So I want you to kind of file away in the back of your minds right now this idea that many churches in America are taking a nosedive. Millions of Christians are choosing not to return to church. File that in the back of your mind as we dive into this passage that God has for us today, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I think we'll see that there is always hope when Jesus Christ is on the scene. Starting in verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zether, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will be thrown into the blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At that time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, uh, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attendance, excuse me, his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Uh, they, uh, turned to, they, uh, uh, they were true to him, uh, and they defied the king's command. 
and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Oh, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province in the province of Babylon. May God bless us as we read, as we study, and as we apply his word to our lives today. No, that was a little bit of a longer passage, but it's such a good one, isn't it? So good. This account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one of the most amazing testimonies of faith and courage in the whole Bible. These three men understood the the consequences of taking a stand for their faith, but they took a stand anyway. They took a stand anyway. Uh, They knew that the the path of least resistance was the path of compromise. After all, it was the path that everybody else was taking. But these three godly men refused to compromise. They chose the godly path, the narrow road. Like Peter and John, 600 years later, they counted the cost and they chose to obey God rather than man. The events of Daniel 3 took place sometime around 600 B.C. Babylon was the most powerful nation on earth. King Nebuchadnezzar sat on the throne. In Daniel 1, if you were to flip back two chapters, you would read uh, the backstory on how uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, had come to Babylon. We read there in Daniel chapter 1 that the king of, of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had swept into Jerusalem. He had laid siege to the city. I've mentioned to you in recent weeks that King Nebuchadnezzar on three different occasions came in with his army outside of Jerusalem. This was the first of three military campaigns to overthrow Jerusalem. So it was round about 605 B.C. And what King Nebuchadnezzar did after that first attack is he took the king of Jerusalem along with many of the royal family and many of the nobles back to Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar figured these guys are smart These guys are well-trained, and I can use them for my benefit back in my capital city in Babylon. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that royalty that were taken back as POWs to Babylon. According to Daniel 1, verse 5, once Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego arrived in Babylon, they underwent three years of training Uh, They learned the language of Babylon. They learned the customs and the cultures and the, uh, the literature of Babylon, all in preparation to serve the king closely. Uh, So they learned all of these things during that intense three-year training. And part of what they had to learn how to do is they had to learn how to eat like the king and his officials ate. And so we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So Daniel and his three friends arrive in Babylon. The food is set before them. And Daniel pulls the official aside and says, you know what? We can't eat this food. He probably said that because the food had been used somehow and sacrificed to idols there in Babylon. He probably also said it because the food wasn't kosher. It didn't follow the Jewish dietary guidelines. And so he said, I can't in good conscience eat this. It, it, it'll cause me to defile my religion. 
Well, that official, he was a little uneasy. He knew if the king found out that he was changing the food for these four guys and they ended up being less healthy than all the others that were being trained, uh, then the king might not only fire that official, he might have his head. And so the official says, I don't know if I can break the king's guidelines. And so Daniel said this in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. He said, please, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat at the king's table. Then treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Guess what happened? At the end of ten days, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked healthier and had more energy than all the other trainees. And at the end of the three-year training, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the king's service. And according to verse 20 of chapter 1, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the other magistrates and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Isn't that great? Ten times better. On the heels of taking a stand for God, taking a courageous and faith-filled stand to, to follow and obey God courageously, the king found Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be ten times better than all the others who chose the path of compromise. Well, the fiery furnace in chapter 3 was a huge test of faith for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I think it's important for us to see that it wasn't their first test of faith. It wasn't their first. God had been preparing them by giving them smaller tests of faith and allowed them to be successful in the smaller tests of faith so when chapter 3 came, they could be successful in the greatest test of faith of their lives. Well, think of it this way. In Daniel chapter 1, God gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego several uh, pop quizzes. Uh, They were torn from their comfortable homes in Jerusalem. Uh, That was a pop quiz. An unexpected test of faith. Against their will, they were hauled 800 miles across the desert to Babylon. Hauled across the desert against their will. This too was a pop quiz. Another test of their faith. And when they were told by the court official, eat this pork. And eat this camel. And eat this meat that was sacrificed to idols in the temple. It was yet another test of faith. An important test of faith that God used to prepare them for the greatest test of faith of all that they would receive in chapter 3. When the day of the final exam finally came in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready. They were ready. They were probably a little nervous. They were probably even scared, but they were ready. And in Daniel chapter 3 verse 6, it says, When the herald called out to the crowd, Bow down and worship the gold statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm in their faith. They stood firm in their obedience to God's commands. They stood tall in the crowd. They refused to compromise. In verse 12, when some of the king's court officials ratted them out and told the king about their defiance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't waver. They kept standing firm in their faith and obedience. And in verse 15, when the king was furious and told them, if you do not worship this statue, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded with one of the most courageous statements of faith in the entire Bible. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Wow! What an amazing stand of faith. Verse 19 says that King Nebuchadnezzar ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. In other words, the furnace was heated to its maximum temperature. From my reading in the past, I've learned that that maximum temperature would have been somewhere around 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Gold begins to melt at 1,900 degrees. This was around 2,700 degrees. For those of you who are unfamiliar with high temperatures, uh, that's really hot. (laughs) It's really, really hot. Well, he heats this up to the highest possible temperature And he throws them into the fire. Some people say, you know what? If you can't take the heat, then get out of the kitchen. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were subjected to the highest temperature that that kitchen could ever go. Well, the soldiers grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They they tied ropes around their hands and feet. Those ropes were flammable. They put multiple layers of clothing on them, even put turbans on their head. All of that clothing... Flammable. And then they they get tossed into this 2,700 degree furnace. It was so hot, the soldiers that tossed them in, and remember it said they were some of the strongest soldiers, some of the strongest soldiers in Nebuchadnezzar's army died from that heat and those flames just throwing the three men into the furnace. And so there they were thrown in. But something strange happened for these courageous men of faith. They should have ignited like lighter fluid on a campfire, but they didn't. It wasn't the fact that the fire was was not hot enough. It was plenty hot. They're thrown into the furnace. And then as Nebuchadnezzar peeks through the stoke hole to see what's going on in that fire, he can't believe his eyes. He sees four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the flames. And he said, one of those guys looks like a son of the gods. I believe that was Jesus Christ himself. Walking through the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can't say for sure. At the very least, it was an angel sent by Christ to walk through the flames with them. These three men of faith had not only endured their final test of faith by standing firm, even if it was going to cost them their lives, God delivered them. They were pulled out of the furnace, and when the crowd gathered around them, not a single singe mark was on their clothes, not a single burn mark was on their skin. They didn't even smell like smoke. It was a miracle of God. He had brought them through the fire, and God gave them an A++ on their final exam of faith. Over the past 2,600 years, their testimony of faith has inspired millions of Christians to courageously walk in faith and obedience as well. I know it's inspired me. I'm guessing it's probably inspired you as well. I'd like to ask you a question today. I think it's an important, I think it's an interesting question. You see, without a doubt, 2020 has been a very strange and difficult year. 
And our faith as Christians has been tested, hasn't it? It has. Our faith has been tested. But here's the question. Has the testing of your faith this year been a Daniel chapter 1 kind of testing? Or has it been a Daniel chapter 3 kind of testing? Now before you answer that, let me say it a different way. The testing of your faith that you have endured this year. Has it been a pop quiz or has it been your final exam? What do you think? Pop quiz or final exam? The truth is, for most of us, this has been merely a pop quiz. Sorry to break it to you, but for most of us, it's merely been a pop quiz. That's not to say that it's been easy or routine. This year has been anything but easy or routine. God has been preparing you, though, for something bigger, something more challenging, something more difficult than you would have been able to endure had you not learned to endure the year 2020. Remember that with every passing day, we draw closer to the great tribulation. We talked about this a few months back. The great tribulation is that seven-year period at the end of time before Jesus sets up His kingdom here on earth where we will experience the greatest turmoil in this world since the days of Noah. Jesus describes the coming great tribulation this way in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. He says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That's what Jesus says about the great tribulation. Within those verses, Jesus reveals two truths about the Great Tribulation that are reinforced elsewhere in Scripture. Truth number one, during the Great Tribulation, people across the globe will experience the greatest suffering in human history. And truth number two, there will be mass casualties that far surpass body counts of previous wars and natural disasters and pandemics. I believe that if we really wrap our minds around what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew 24, I believe it will radically change our perspective. It will radically change how we respond to the events of 2020. I believe if we wrap our minds around this, it will be absolutely transformational. The truth is, most Americans, including most of our leaders, have a very narrow perspective when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic that we're dealing with. We have this very limited perspective. We've looked at this pandemic and we've said, this is the worst pandemic of our lives. It's worse than HIV. It's worse worse than swine flu, worse than H1N1. And that's true. For almost all of us, we would say this is the worst pandemic we have ever Endured. But you know what? Jesus wants us to broaden our perspective. I believe our Lord is saying to his church today, followers of Christ, COVID-19 is bad. It's bad. I'm not saying it's not. It's bad. But believe me, it's going to get a whole lot worse. It's going to get worse. This is probably not what you want to hear, but you need to hear it. You ain't seen nothing yet. 
I believe that's what God wants to tell his church today in America. COVID-19 has been bad, but COVID-21 and COVID-23 and COVID-25 or whatever we call the next pandemic that's coming down the pike will be a whole lot worse. This election year has felt like a nightmare for many of us. But guess what? There'll be future elections that are a lot worse. This social unrest that we've dealt with in our cities in 2020 has been bad. No doubt about it. But in all likelihood, there will be social unrest down the road that will get even worse. I don't say this to depress you. Just like Jesus, I say this so that you can be ready to stand firm in your faith when the harder times of testing come. Do you remember what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 when he's teaching us about uh, girding ourselves up for the, the, the battle that we face, girding ourselves up for spiritual warfare? Remember what he says in Ephesians 6. He says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. No matter what we deal with in 2020, God wants us to still stand when we come through the end of it. God wants us to still be standing at the far side of whatever tribulation or difficulty or challenge that you and I face. He hasn't created us to fall down and stay down. He's created us to get up and endure and stand firm in our faith and stand firm in our obedience no matter what comes our way. Can you see that God is talking directly to you and me in these verses in Ephesians 6? Can you see that He's speaking to us through Daniel chapter 3? Can you see that 2020 has been a a test of your faith? And more specifically, it's been a pop quiz to prepare you for a final exam. The even harder test that's coming down the road. So let me ask you, how are your faith and obedience holding up under this pop quiz? How are your faith and obedience holding up? And more importantly, how will your faith and obedience hold up during the tougher tests that come down the road. Last Sunday I mentioned to you that I spoke with several of our key county leaders about the status of our COVID-19 guidelines in the Victor Valley, especially as they relate to the church being able to move indoors as the weather gets colder. I really wanted to know if there was a path forward for churches to move indoors. Because just like today, the forecast for today on Sunday supposed to be something like 39 degrees, 70% chance of rain. We're not able to be outside on a day like this. So what is our path forward? Both leaders that I spoke to mentioned their efforts to convince our state leaders to allow the Victor Valley to move out of the purple tier, which is severely restricting how we can open businesses indoors and open restaurants indoors and open schools and churches indoors. I like how Corwin Porter, our director of of public health, put it. He said, currently the state has us in purple purgatory. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. We've been put in purple purgatory, not because the science dictates it in the Victor Valley, but because our state leaders, for whatever reason, have decided to keep us there. Hmm. Supervisor Lovingood says, quote, 
If you follow the science, the Victor Valley should be two or three tiers over in the orange or yellow tier. By the way, there's four tiers. Purple, where we currently are, they say we can't do church indoors. If we move over one more tier to the red, they say we can come indoors at 50, excuse me, 25% capacity up to 100 people. One more tier over is orange. At that point, we can come in at 50% capacity. And then finally, the yellow tier says we can come in 50% capacity with no cap on a total number, as long as it's within 50%. And so Supervisor Lovingood says not only should we be moved from purple to the next tier over red, we should be way over in orange or yellow. We should be at 50% capacity within our church services indoors. Yet for whatever reason, the state has said no. The bottom line is the state has stubbornly refused to follow the advice of local health officials and leaders who know our community much better than they do. They're doing much harm to our community by refusing to allow us to go back to work, to school, and to indoor church services. Part of the problem is our leader's perspective is far too narrow. For starters, they're refusing to acknowledge the truth that the church is essential. Amen? The church is essential. But they're also failing to look at the truth of Scripture that COVID-19 is just the tip of the iceberg. They're failing to embrace the truth of Scripture that this pandemic is child's play compared to what's coming. So if we can't figure out how to open businesses and schools and churches during this pandemic, how on earth are we going to open them up when the next pandemic comes? Let's play a little game of what if. What if? Uh, What if next week our infection rates drop below that threshold that's been set for us in this purple tier? And let's assume that also our positivity rates drop below that other threshold of what our state has set for us in the purple tier. Let's say we drop below those thresholds, our numbers look even better. And the state says, okay, County of San Bernardino, you may now open your businesses and your churches and your restaurants and your schools. You may now open them at 25% capacity. So we all open our doors and we all move back indoors. Let me ask you, what's going to happen when we have that inevitable spike in our infection rates and our positivity rates? Well, what's going to happen then? The state going to step in and say, okay, you need to close your doors again. And so we have these ups and these downs, these ebbs and these flows. And so we open and then we close. We open and then we close. We open and then we close. This is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. At some point, the state of California, along with every other state in the United States, is going to say, you know what? There is a risk to opening up businesses and schools and churches, but we are willing to take the risk Because the consequences of not doing so are much greater than the possible consequences of opening up our churches, schools, and businesses. At some point, the church, excuse me, the state is finally going to wake up and say, you know what? This is unsustainable. We can't open, close, open, close, open, close for the next one, two, three, five years. It's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. God commands us in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. These verses are very clear. 
For believers and followers of Jesus Christ, church isn't optional. It's essential. So since the beginning of June, we have been holding live outdoor services at our old facility on George Boulevard. Every Lord's Day, we've held outdoor services, and God's blessed us with good weather. And now that the weather is not allowing us to consistently hold outdoor services, we're moving indoors, with or without the state's blessing. The elders and I are unanimous in this decision. We're taking a personal liability risk in doing this, but we have counted the cost, and we believe the Lord is guiding this decision. We reached out to the attenders last week at our live outdoor service, and we surveyed them. Do you think as the weather gets colder, we should move indoors? And a strong majority, over 86%, said, yes, we think we should, despite the risks. We are being very safe. Seats are six feet apart. We're asking every attender to wear face coverings. We're doing temperature checks at the door of all attenders. And if you've got a cold or a cough or a fever, we're asking you to stay home on Sunday and join us online. We're being safe, but we're opening back up. Online services are good. And for those of us who can't physically make it to a live service, along in person with other people. If you're not able to do that, we encourage you to continue joining us online. We have some of you who are watching who cannot attend a live service right now. Physically, you're not able to leave your home and come to a live service. So we are going to continue to offer these high-quality online services. But let's be honest with each other. Most of us are physically able to come to a live service. Online church is... Not the best option for most of us. Most of us need to be in weekly fellowship with other Christians, serving and being served. If you are physically able to be at church and you choose not to come, I feel led to tell you today something. Doing what you're doing long term is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Jesus never intended for us to do church in isolation. The church is a body. The church is an assembly. The church is a team of people coming together with the same purpose to love, to learn, and to serve together. And so if you are online and have been online only for the last seven months, I want you to be thinking about how unsustainable that is if you are physically able to go to church yet choose not to. For those of you who have been online only, I want to ask you to ask yourself a very important set of questions. Our state, I don't think, is thought through. At what point are we going to open doors regardless? They need to ask and answer that question. And I want to encourage you to ask and answer some similar questions. At what point are you going to return to church? At what point are you going to return to church? When we're in the red tier? Maybe when we're in the orange tier or in the yellow tier. Maybe when you've taken a vaccine. Maybe when 50% of the population of California has taken a vaccine. When? When are you going to return to church? Is there a possibility of contracting COVID if you come to church? Yes, there is. I'm convinced that with the safety measures we're taking, it's a very small risk, but it is a risk. Are you willing to, in faith and obedience, Take that risk. And if you're not willing to take it, 
at some point in the near future, how will you be able to return to church down the road when the next pandemic comes and it's even worse? We as Christians do not have the luxury of only looking at our past up to the present and saying, this is the worst of my life. We have to look ahead and realize that this is preparation for what's to come. As millions of Christians around our country have stopped attending church, I hope that you're not one of them. And as thousands of churches are closing their doors, I hope that we will work together to make sure that Impact Christian Church is not one of them that closes its doors in the next 18 months. Let's open our church doors and keep them open in the weeks and months to come. That doesn't mean we're going to be inside indefinitely. If the weather gets better outside, we may move outside on a certain Sunday. We're not moving inside just to be rebellious for the sake of being rebellious. We're moving indoors so we can continue doing what we're doing, ministering to people in a live service on the Lord's day. I hope and pray that you and I will boldly walk through these doors as we open them together and that we will lead many, many others to join us. Let's ace this pop quiz together and make it through COVID and make it through 2020 walking in faith and obedience courageously for Jesus Christ. And let's prepare ourselves for the final exam that's coming at some point down the road. Remember Jesus said, if you are faithful with little, then I will allow you to be faithful with much. Jesus Christ has so graciously prepared us for what's coming up ahead. And I believe that we'll be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and be brave and courageous and bold for you. Help us, Lord, to walk in faith and in obedience. I know, Lord, for some of us watching this service, it is a hard, hard decision to come back to church. Lord, they're worried. They're concerned. They've got fears. But Lord, help us to follow your gentle, gracious leading in each of our lives. To come back in your perfect timing. And help us, Lord, to do what we do with our live service with safety. But with boldness. Help us, O Lord. Protect us, O Lord. And draw us unto Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, I like to share this with you every week. ABC, admit that you're a sinner if you need to accept him today. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and choose to follow him today with all your heart. If you've made that decision today, I encourage you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their names and phone numbers are at the bottom of your screen. They'd love to pray with you, love to talk with you. You can call or text him, whichever you prefer. And we'd love to talk to you about how you can get baptized as soon as possible to show the world that you are serious about following Jesus Christ from this point forward. Amen? Amen. And with that, we're going to take communion together. encourage you to have your bread and your juice ready. If you want to take communion with us, Jesus Christ asks us not to take a communion in an unworthy manner, which means we need to be searching our hearts right now. If there's sin we need to confess, we need to confess it. Lord, I've said what I shouldn't say this past week. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've even thought thoughts that shouldn't have been going through my mind. 
Forgive me, Lord, and help us to honorably focus on the body of Christ. This is just bread. It's not the body of Christ, but it does represent his body. He says, take of it in a worthy manner. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, we take of the juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I encourage you to spend some quiet time in prayer and worship as we lift up this final song of the service. God bless you, church. Look forward to talking with you and ministering with you real soon. And I sure hope that many of you, you will join us in the weeks to come for a live service. I miss you. And I'd love to worship the Lord together with you. We can do what we do better as we do it together. God bless you.